0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things books and pop culture. My name is Michaela, and I'll be joined, as always, by my fabulous co-host, Zachariah. Say hi, Zachariah. Hi, Zachariah. As a reminder, new episodes of Pages Unknown air every Wednesday. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts, as well as on TikTok and Instagram under the name Pages Unknown. If you find yourself enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. This week, we
1: are discussing P. DeJelly Clark's A Master of Gin*. This book is part of Clark's Dead Gin* series and follows the events of his novellas Haunting of Tramcar 15 and A Dead Gin in Cairo. P. DeJelly Clark is a pen name for Dexter Gabriel, and honestly, we stand. I love this.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So before we get into our feelings about it, we want to make sure that you guys are set up for success with a nice little synopsis of what this book is all about. So we're in Cairo in 1912. Though Fatma El shaari is the youngest woman working for the Ministry of Alchemy, Enchantments, and Supernatural Entities, she's certainly not a rookie. Especially after preventing hmm, the destruction of the universe last summer. (laughs) So when someone murders a secret brotherhood dedicated to one of the most famous men in history, Al-Jahiz, Agent Fatma is called onto the case. al transformed the world 40 years ago when he opened up the veil between magical and mundane realms before vanishing into the unknown. This murderer claims to be al returned to condemn the modern age for its social oppressions. His dangerous magical abilities instigate unrest in the streets of Cairo that threaten to spill over onto the global stage. Alongside her ministry colleagues and a familiar person from her past, Agent Fatma must unravel the mystery behind this imposter to restore peace to the city, or face the possibility that he could be exactly who he seems. Now, this book deals with a lot. (laughs) There is a lot going on we've got mm-hmm. a ton of different themes and social issues that Clark is tackling here. We have a lot of characters, a lot of side plots. There's a whole mm-hmm. bunch to get through. So, we're going to just introduce rapid fire some of the things to look out for within the pages of this book that we think really stood out. We said this is set in Cairo. This is set in an alternative steampunk Cairo. Mm-hmm. So, we're dealing with, you know, more of a cog in the machine type thing magic is real humans and jin live alongside one another they are both aware of each other we're dealing with colonialism we're dealing with racism colorism classism orientalism religious prejudice jim crow is mentioned here it's amazing yep. to me how beautifully and seamlessly clark is able to write it all into the pages without it feeling overwhelming it just feels very real mm-hmm. it feels like a real world <laughs> where all these issues exist
1: he's tackling all of it in a way that's really digestible. And all of it that we've mentioned here is kind of essential to the plot. These things set the circumstances for what is happening in this book right now. This Al-Jahiz individual, we're not going to spoil anything about this human, but this person goes into areas and talks about all these issues and connects them. The mass politics of it all, really getting folks to understand what they're saying and getting a lot of these folks who've suffered under these different systems on their side. One of the other kind of present things throughout the book is this religious prejudice, like you mentioned, Michaela, you got idolatry. And I never pronounce that word correctly. <laughs> I always say it incorrectly. Some of these people worship the old
0: gods in Egypt, like Nephthys. And there are people who worship Isis, there are people who worship Anubis, all the old gods. And it contrasts very steadfastly throughout mm-hmm. the book against this push towards modernity, where a lot mm-hmm. of people are sort of more progressive. Routinely throughout the book, Clark- juxtaposes how progressive this Cairo is supposed to be, while still being deeply ingrained with all of these issues. You know, mm-hmm. This is supposed to be a very forward thinking society. And yet, just like in the real world, people are still stuck in the ways of mm-hmm. racism and colonialism and imperialism. The caste system is alive and well. The gap between the wealthy and the poor mm-hmm. grows larger every day, just like in our very real society. All of these things contrast with how this city is being presented it's fascinating to read.
1: The people who run this city they're not just projecting this to its people, they're trying to put themselves on the world stage. Remember, this is an alternative history. so you start to see some figures from history and they interact with the rulers of this city. you You start to see in this alternative history how Cairo and Egypt broadly is trying to actively
0: become a world player. So those are some of the themes. I know we've already <laughs> dumped a lot on you. <laughs> Let's tell you about some of the characters here. Let's talk about our our cast of characters. So like we said, we've got Fatma, who is the lead investigator. She is known throughout Cairo as being incredibly capable, very Mm -hmm. intelligent, and tenacious when it comes to solving a crime.
1: Fatma is also, this is not a spoiler, I don't believe, because it's been talked about so many times. Fatma is also a queer person. And it's just mentioned, again, we've said this in many podcast episodes, it's just so casually that this is mentioned that Fatma Fatma happens to wear suits, a little bit more male presenting, they identify as a cis woman, but super queer, and it's just woven throughout. I I love it. And Fatma does not shy away from it, even in the the society that actively grappling with some of these issues where women are starting to take more public roles, women becoming political figures, either elected or non. And so Fatma's just kind of leaning into some of this. I loved her.
0: Yeah, no, she's a fantastic female lead. Then we have Seti, who has known Fatma for a long time, and (laughs) is one of her informants. Shall we say? I was obsessed with Seti from the minute she came on the page. In love with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She is fiery. She's fun. She doesn't take shit from people. She gives it mm-hmm. right back to them. She speaks openly and honestly. I was obsessed with her.
1: And she's one of the people that is practicing the religion of the old gods. And that really does tie into the overarching story. At the beginning of it, I don't think maybe it was presented as such like a huge deal. I just really find it interesting, the characters that we're not going to mention all of them, of course, but there are some who are devoted to these old gods and Seti is one of them.
0: Then we have Hadiah. Now, Hadia is a character that ends up working very closely with Fatma and Seti, trying to solve this crime. She is the antithesis, really, in the beginning of Fatma. She is bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, looks on with wonder at the world around her. She's bubbly, very positively inclined. She's just excited to be there, Mm -hmm. uh, which sort of is juxtaposed against Fatma's sort of begrudging (laughs) disdain (laughs) for for the world around her.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's mentioned that Fatma was the youngest person to serve, and also a woman. Yeah, she graduated at like 20. Hadia is also rather young. So I think Fatma sees a lot of the mistakes that she might have made, and- Hadia. She's kind of trying to say, Hey Hadia, hold on. If you're gonna, if you're gonna participate in this world, you have to understand some things. So Hadia is a really fun character.
0: Something I really loved too is in the beginning, Fatma is sort of not interested in working with Hadia. She's like, I'm more of a loner. I do things on my own. I'm not interested Mm -hmm. in this, you know, relationship. And then she reminds herself what it was like to be the woman in the room that people didn't believe could really amount to anything and Mm -hmm. she turns her pride totally around and says you know what yeah let's let's do this let's work together i'll guide you i'll help you you help me and we'll find a good rhythm between the two of us and i loved that because usually Mm -hmm. it's women being pitted against one another and the crouchy old person you know taking on a new rookie and being like i don't really give a shit about you
1: You'll see as you read the book, how this relationship kind of develops, and maybe the origins, why it was uh, put upon both of them originally. So I'm not going to give you any more than that. But it is
0: fun. Then we have Asim, who is the police chief who works closely with Fatima. And he is great. He's like an old grandpa who holds on to the past (laughs) through Mm -hmm. his mustache. (laughs)
1: Uncle is a word that many individuals will parlay onto a gentleman who is older, who might be more of an authority figure. Definitely how Fatima sees this individual.
0: Then we have the Worthingtons. (laughs) Now, this is where we sort of are getting into the Orientalism, classism, the colonialism. The Worthingtons are a very wealthy white family who are credited with establishing the current culture <laughs> in Cairo they're granted a lot of a lot of mm. immunity
1: a lot of leeway is provided to the father who created this brotherhood that this whole story kind of centers around. He's obsessed with this mysticism that in some ways has been cobbled together over centuries and no one knows truly what the truth is about this human, al And this whole family, they've got old money out there. They're into steel. This is a time in the world when steel was a huge thing. So the father is Alastair Worthington, who I think must be based on Alistair Crowley. So I feel like that's where that a lot of that comes from this mysticism and obsession with it Mm -hmm. you have his son who was sent away to military school named alexander and then you have the daughter abigail who goes by abby in this abigail is also constantly flanked by some hangers-on who want to be in her circle they're new money as other people put it new money wants to be around old money it seems
0: Lastly, we have these world dignitaries. And Mm -hmm. really the function of these characters is to remind you that we are in an alternate history and that this is happening on a global scale. All the events that are taking place in Cairo will impact the rest of the world. Cairo in this world is a cultural hub. It is a pillar of culture. And because of that, the effects can be very far reaching. So we see a Mm -hmm. lot of dignitaries from other countries, people you'll recognize from actual history just turned Mm -hmm. on its head a little bit.
1: I won't spoil it, but some of these dignitaries that we're talking about kind of become buddy cop in a couple of these scenes. and It's it's really funny when it happens. I loved it.
0: It is very fun. Now, okay, we've gone through the themes. We've talked about the plot. We've talked about our characters. Zachariah, give me your initial feelings about this story, this setting. What did you think?
1: This is a really lush world and one that I really enjoyed kind of being in. Before I read this book, I have read Tramcar 15, The Haunting of Tramcar 15. I didn't realize. That it wasn't a standalone. So now, to kind of after reading this, I'm like, oh, this is so fun. I thought that the characters were really well defined. I think that the occasional lore dump, and it wasn't really a dump, it was, you know, a a digestible morsel. They were put throughout the book, was great. Some authors will just kind of come in and say, here are three pages of lore that you have to know for the remainder of this book. This author did not do that, and I really liked it. We kind of discovered it as we went along with the characters. The way that some of these characters interact really made the book for me. Watching or rather reading Fatma navigate this world that wants to pretend it's so forward thinking, watching her do that and just be brazenly like, hey, F y'all, I'm the one they called in. I'm the one that they keep wanting to put on these cases. And it just irks these people in such a way. I loved it. I loved every second of it. There are a couple of characters that you'll meet later in the book that we have not mentioned that I'm obsessed with. I I loved this world. I, I know it sounds like I'm just really laying on the compliments. I had so much fun in this book. Maybe that has to do with the way that I read this book. Also, I read the first four chapters of this book, just myself on my Kindle. Then I realized, oh, maybe it would be nice to try some of the audiobook. I still have the remainder of a subscription on Scribd. I did a free trial. I just happened. This is not sponsored. I just happened to have a little bit of it left. This narrator made my entire weekend. I wish I had the name of the narrator right in front of me. I'll put it in the description because I'm going to make sure I include it. She's fantastic. But I was reading as she was narrating it. I was fully transported. She just did such a good job. So overall, I mean, I, I really don't have any true complaints for my initial reaction. I really, really enjoyed this book. And it's not that long. You can really read this in one or two days it's great.
0: I love how you read this book. I've never Mm -hmm. really been a big audiobook person. I have trouble Mm -hmm. focusing on what they're saying to me and I end up losing track of where we are in Mm -hmm. the story.
1: I did set it to while she was narrating it. I had it on 2.5 speed. So I was reading it as she was saying it. And it really did. I feel like I should have used this when I was in college. This is a fantastic way to absorb a book, in my opinion, if you're reading along with it and not just listening to it, which I think is what you're describing.
0: Yeah. My mom listens to a lot of audiobooks. That's like Mm. the way that she gets it done because she doesn't have a lot of time in her day to sit down and read a book. You know, she's very busy. Yeah. So it works for her. I just never have been able to absorb it. But I think that that is such an interesting way to read the book. It's almost like when you're a kid and you have those read-along books that read themselves Mm -hmm. to you but you're still looking at the words. It's a great way for kids to learn reading and reading comprehension Mm -hmm. and how to understand language. So I think that that is so much fun. And This in particular is a cool book to do that with Mm -hmm. because I really feel like being transported to the world is the key to understanding how all the puzzle pieces fit together. You need Mm -hmm. the full immersion. You can't be half in, half out of this book. As far as how I felt about this book, I loved it. I mm-hmm. thought it was so interesting and engaging. It's a world that I've never really visited before. I have not read a lot of steampunk books, and I don't generally read like alternative history books, but wow, mm-hmm. how interesting. I think that the thing that really did it for me here, that really made, like pushed me over the edge into being like, I really like this book. I really like this world. I really love these characters, is how thoughtfully crafted these interactions between our characters are. You can really sense the real relationships between them. Mm -hmm. The love they have for each other, the disdain they have for each other, the confusion about what's going on, the righteous anger that builds up Mm -hmm. when someone is wronged or someone uses a slur against another Mm -hmm. character. It's so beautifully thought out and well-crafted and you really can tell that a lot of care went into putting this all together. I loved Mm -hmm. it. I thought it was fantastic.
1: It's one of those kind of books, and I know we've said we love this book many, many times over the past (laughs) three minutes and 25 seconds here, but I don't think I've had this much fun. Like I've been immersed in books. This one, I enjoyed being in the world and I also wanted to be in this world. The way that they describe the interactions that were happening, the ministry itself, I'm like, this is cool as hell. I just, I don't know how to put it quite into words. And I know that we have a podcast, where we're supposed to really give you all <laughs> our reviews <laughs> of these books. I just had so much fun. And I didn't expect to have this much fun with it. I think about 40% of that credit has to go to the narrator who just really made it for me. But this is just a well-crafted world. I could go on and just, it's not going to be anything besides the fact that I really liked it. I could give you more reasons why I liked it, but I don't want to give you spoilers. That's the big thing. We're trying to avoid some of those.
0: (laughs) I think this would make a really interesting TV show, but it would require quite a bit of special effects and it would have to be very well done. And I don't know if any studio is really capable of that just yet. But the whole time I was reading it, I was actively Mm -hmm. picturing it in my head and sort of building out this world Mm -hmm. and fleshing it out. And that's pretty big for me because I actually can't picture anything in my head. If someone Mm -hmm. is like, hey, Michaela, picture an apple. I don't see anything in my mind's eye. It's just black with little green fizzy spots in some places. I can't picture anything. But here, I really felt like I could. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a close your eyes and I can see a building thing. But I, in my mind's eye, I really could imagine what she was feeling, what Fatma was going fr- mm-hmm. going through. And it was amazing.
1: Another thing I really enjoyed is the way that this magic was presented in this world. The djinn here are magical beings, similar to genies because they can be released from lamps, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. But these are magical folk that live and are citizens of Cairo. They have full rights of citizens, like they, you know, they have these things. And the magic that they have is a balancing act. It's not done with wands and all of these things like we've seen in a lot of books about magic. This is really based in a lot of the lore around them. I think the source material was done justice here in terms of where jinn originate. I love how each of them had their own personality. It didn't seem like they were written as one note. The librarian is one of my favorite people. I was just going to bring him up. (laughs) Zagros is his name. And I- it's familiar to me to another character in a different book that I'm not going to say because I think that it'll be an additional spoiler. So I'll just keep my mouth shut on that.
0: Well, you also read the novellas that led up to this. Now, this is my first foray into a Peter Jelly Clark mm-hmm. book and my first foray into this world that he has created. But he has a few novellas yes. and novelettes before this main book that do mm-hmm. deal with the same world. And you've you've read some of them.
1: I've read The Haunting of Tramcar 15, which was... Number 0.3 in this series of three things that were put before a Master of Jin. Master of Jin is book number one. So there are these three novelettes. The difference between a novelette and a novella, we looked it up. A novelette is 7,500 to 19,000 words. And a novella is 10,000 words to 40,000 words. As you can tell, there's an overlap there. I don't know what I would call these. I've just been calling them novellas. The Haunting of tramcar 15 is about exactly what it sounds like. It's a tram car that was haunted. <laughs> I bought it for my brother for Christmas. And before I gave it to him, I read it. Because <laughs> I sometimes do that if I buy books for my, uh, my friends or family, I'll read it first. Might as well get two uses out of it. The works that come before A Master of gin. You have a dead gin in Cairo, which is number zero point one. The Angel of Khan El Khalili, that's number zero point two, and then the haunting of tramcar fifteen is number zero point three. A fun little fact about me is that I love when previous work is referenced in a work, or the title of the book is inside of the book. I really enjoy that. In a Master of Gin, haunting of tramcar fifteen is referenced, and. I put I put the book down for a second. And I'm like, I love when this happens, you can and you can clearly start to figure out a timeline for this story and how it relates to these previous investigations that are talked about in these little novellas, the timeline in this book, and the other books can be a little tricky to place. Right? historically speaking, anyway, we talked about dignitaries, as you mentioned, Michaela, there's a couple of them. I'm not sure if the ones that are being mentioned all existed at the exact same moment in time, which is why I think we're (laughs) saying this. But it's an alternative history. And if you're going to venture into this world, you have to kind of suspend your disbelief a bit, just kind of go with it. You can't let like reality dictate the way that you engage with the story.
0: I definitely think I'm going to have to check out the novellas Mm -hmm. now that I am very invested in this world and I have to wait a little bit for the next one to come out. So I might go back and, and read them and we can we can talk about them off the pod. Maybe on TikTok, you'll see a conversation about those. But I absolutely agree. I mean, it can be very difficult in things like this. with sort of a reality, but turned on its head a bit. It can be difficult to place it in your brain mm-hmm. and make the timeline make sense. What you have to do is just don't even think about it don't let logic ruin the fun time that is this book. Just kind of go with the ride and, and enjoy the flow of the book and just believe whatever they tell you. In this world, this is how it is. This book won yep. a lot of awards. Now, we've we've reviewed a couple of books on this podcast that are very well-received, books that people have had a lot of good things to say about. I think this is the most awards I've seen for I one of the so. books that we've we've reviewed. It's a Hugo Award nominee for Best Novel. It's a Nebula Award for Best Novel, a Locus Award for Best First Novel, a Compton Crook Award, a Goodreads Choice Award nominee for Fantasy, a Dragon Award nominee for Best Alternate History Novel, an Ignite Award for Best Adult Novel, and it even has a couple more.
1: (laughs) I promise that none of these places that we just named, nor the author, has paid us to give it so many... (laughs) words of praise. I think if I had read this book last year, I probably would have started pushing it a little bit for the Goodreads Choice Awards. I think that would have been one of the ones that I pushed maybe even over some of the other ones that were in that category that I also really liked that we that we talked about on the pod. I don't know. There's a reason it won these awards.
0: And it's not only these You know, companies. It's also just reviewers. People on TikTok really, really love this book. People on Goodreads. Mm -hmm. I went into Goodreads. Something I like to do is look through the reviews and see what people are saying, where their complaints are, where they're not so happy. On the whole, this book was very well received. I think that Mm -hmm. what people were confused about is their own approach to this book. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of reviews saying, hey, this is like a whodunit. Why am I breaking off into eight different storylines in this? It isn't a whodunit. This is Mm -hmm. like a fractal universe. This is a real world scenario. Mm -hmm. In a real investigation, it's not a Scooby-Doo episode. It's not clear cut with, (laughs) oh, maybe it was this guy. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was old man Smithers all along. There's a lot that goes into investigating this, particularly when – this murder that takes place is on such a large scale of such a known public figure there's a lot to deal with here it's not a simple who done it so i think that your approach to this book you need to understand that this is not a a plus b equals c this is a j m l p q a little bit of s and we're going to end up at z and that's okay <laughs> just accept it
1: in our notes we talk about some folks Approaching this as a whodunit. And then the thing, like the takeaway that you and I have from some of these reviews, it kind of felt like to them a scattershot of what was going on and that it meandered too much. I understand what they're trying to say there, but again, it's definitely in their approach. This is the first one in this, in the actual series, right? This is book number one. The author is building out such a huge world, right? Angels are talked about and they have their own bureaucratic department. Then you start talking about all of these djinn and they have their own laws. And then you have this ministry. And on top of that, you have other magical races that are talked about. There's goblins in this. that, And that's not really a thing I think I was prepared for, especially in contrast to the dignitary. <laughs> Since the author is really talented at doing novellas, I think that style, this approach of individual stories, quote unquote, inside of this book is how it was all put together. I can understand maybe what they're talking about meandering. The author presented this story and the world in a way that you could probably take some of this book and make it a standalone story. You could have one thing where she's talking to a specific djinn or where she's going into the bureaucracy of these angels or et cetera, et cetera. There's so many things that could be standalone things. And I think maybe that's the sense that they are getting.
0: I love short form media in terms of mm. you know Instagram reels TikToks little videos mm-hmm. on YouTube and it translates into the book world as well I do love novellas I've read a, a couple of them things that are you know could be plays things that are vignettes one shots I love it when a, an author will give you a little taste at the end a little epilogue mm-hmm. that's just sort of a fun thing this to me felt like a very nice blending of those two types of writing styles a long mm. form and a short form And because he was able to do it so seamlessly, in my opinion, it fleshes out the world a lot more to where it feels very real. To the people who felt like it was a little all over the place and that there were too many threads for them to find their way back to the original plot, it's absolutely fair. I would urge you to broaden the picture in your head and not narrow the field of view to just one central plot and instead Mm -hmm. to accept that there's a lot of things at play. And I think then if you do that, you will get a lot out of this story, a lot out of this mm-hmm. characters, and a lot out of this world that I think Peeta Jelly Clark is, is painting a beautiful picture. And you just have to look at the whole thing.
1: Everything is actively connected as well. So the way that you're describing all of these like disparate kind of scenes and things that people are seemingly misunderstanding in some way, we have talked about this before. Every time we talk about a book, it seems there are these connecting kind of stories and circumstances that lead us to the ultimate conclusion. This is how a book works. This is just how it is. J.D. Clark just did it in the way. Actually, I will say this reflected the bureaucracy he talked about because you have to go through so many places to get so many answers, to get an approval to do the next thing. That's kind of how this was laid out in some way.
0: Yeah, it does. Unfortunately, this style of writing sort of limit who I think would Really glean a lot from it without Mm. a backstory or without a a sort of warning beforehand of of how to go into it. Normally, this type of alternate history I think would sit really well with a lot of people that I interact with that are in the older generations. I think that old men typically veer towards historical nonfiction and historical fiction. Mm -hmm. I think that this would be a really interesting read for those people who are used to reading non magic based history books. Mm. Whether fiction or nonfiction, I think this would be a really fun way to sort of deviate from that. There's a gentleman who I have recommended several books to who goes to my my beach club, which is like a horrible sentence. I feel like I hate it <laughs> <laughs> I belong to a beach club, <laughs> but I've recommended several sort of I'm sort of edging him towards magical realism, and I think he would i could i could definitely get him into this book. I feel like that'd be a good person. Who do you think you would recommend this to in your life? I think I've
1: said this before. But if if we had read it for the podcast, I think I'd recommend it to you, which is such like a silly- You can't
0: keep saying me. <laughs> I can't keep doing this.
1: <laughs> I know. I think my partner would really like this one. He likes historical nonfiction. He, he just finished a book about the history of a group of people in South Africa. Very kind of niche, hyper-specific. I feel like he would enjoy this. My father would probably enjoy this book. However, I think- excluding the two people that I just mentioned, there are some people who will read this and probably won't come away with some of the the gleanings about all of the the things you mentioned at the beginning, all of these themes that we talked about, how colonialism is really at the focal point of this, right? The people that I want to read this are probably the people that are already going to pick it up. So I want people <laughs> that wouldn't normally think about this genre being the one they pick up for them to go for it. Because the author does build a world that feels accessible. And it's got magic, but the magic isn't even necessarily like the focal point of it. There's no real magic system for me to give you to talk about, right? There's no real mechanism. It's just the djinn have magic. That's basically it. The humans, I don't think, are actively utilizing their own innate magics. Some of them are, which is interesting. Oh, that's a whole nother thing. We'll leave off the pod.
0: (laughs) But yeah, you you know, I think that a lot of people think, okay, this is a standalone book. Is it a sequel? Do I have all these novellas? Do I have to read those novellas? Like it can be a little overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think if you decide to tackle it, you will find it very approachable. You'll find it very digestible. And if you just suspend your belief, I think you'll really get a lot out of it.
1: Just as a note, as you're talking about maybe feeling overwhelmed, I want all of our listeners to know if you pick up this book, just pick up this book. And if you really like it, go back and do the novellas because they are standalones. You don't have to have the this information from the first ones. They just happen to reference each other a bit and just build out the world more. Master of Jinn, you need to read it as a standalone. And then if you'd like that, just go back. Look at the others.
0: Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can catch new episodes of the podcast every Wednesday, and you can find us on TikTok under Pages Unknown. If you like this episode, please share the podcast with a friend and leave us a rating where you get your podcasts. We appreciate all your support and we'll talk with you next week.